on the front of your bulletin, I included a, a quote from A.W. Pink. Look at it again. He said, The newly born Savior was actually seen by very few. The shepherds in the field, the wise men from the east, Anna and Simeon in the temple saw the Redeemer in the days of his infancy. But Herod and Pilate, the scribes and the Pharisees, the unbelieving civic and religious heads, saw him not. Um, We've been pondering these few Sundays of Advent, the wonder of welcome, how God uh, welcomed a few unlikely witnesses to the birth of the king, and how the story of Jesus' birth uh, highlights God's holy hospitality, Um, how Christmas reminds us that God has wrapped our little stories up into his larger story. Uh, This week, we're going to uh, take a few minutes and Consider the shepherds, the overlooked and outcast, the poor and the needy. Let's pray. Father, um, we see uh, what you're doing in these stories. We see that you are noticing the unseen. You are noticing um, those who are not well-to-do, well-thought-of, well-bred, well-put-together. You are noticing uh, the poor and the needy, like us. And so we ask that you would come by the power of your Spirit and open our eyes so that we would notice Jesus as he is presented to us in the good news of the gospel. Uh, Do that in us, we pray, because we need you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. There was a day a few years back when uh, Christine and I were having one of those husband and wife discussions. Um, I would call it a heated discussion. Not like what my children call it whenever we start having a heated discussion or disagreement. They start chanting, fight, 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 and selling tickets. Um, But anyway, we're having one of those discussions. You know, husbands and wives have these. Um, Abby was sitting at the kitchen table and uh, doing her homework, listening in on this conversation. And at one point, right in the middle of it, she just looked up at us and she goes, Oh man, you guys are so needy. And we just stopped and we laughed and we were like, Yeah, you're right. You don't even know the half of it. We are very needy, um, needy people. God has been gracious to show us time after time after time through our life together, um, how needy we actually are. Um, We have brokenness in our lives from things that have been done to us, and we have brokenness in our lives that are there because of things we have done. Um, 
And over the years, God has used the troubles in our world to expose the troubles in our heart. Um, And he has convinced us time and time again that we're needy people. We need help. We need mercy. We need strength. We need forgiveness. We need humility. Endurance, patience. And so I ask you, are you needy like us? If so, welcome. Welcome to the story. And welcome to Mountain Fellowship. You've come to the right place. Because we're a bunch of needy people. Um, if you stay around long enough, you'll, you'll know that. Um, we long to be, actually, a church, a place where needy people could come and be needy at the feet of Jesus um, and with one another. And as I thought about this this week, too, I, I want to tell you that, yeah, the shepherds were overlooked and outcast and poor and needy, and we want to be a church that welcomes the overlooked and the outcast and the poor and needy, but we, like any other church, are going to have times when we overlook you and we don't recognize that you're feeling outcast and you're feeling poor and needy. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit, but we know, we know that we're missing some of you. So some of you may be very aware of your neediness, but some of you may not. Maybe, maybe now Abby now knows that she's a needy person, um, and she would admit that. But maybe some of you uh, don't recognize that, and you look at other needy people and say, oh man, y'all are so needy. And, uh, you know, maybe things are going well in your life right now. Maybe, maybe it's all good, and maybe you don't like feeling needy. I don't like feeling needy. Um, there's good news for you too. I'm praying that the Spirit would convince those of us who don't like feeling needy and who maybe don't think we're needy that we are. But the good news came first to the overlooked and the outcast and the poor and needy shepherds. R.C. Sproul said this about the shepherds. Shepherds were a despised class by the time of Christ. They had a, they had a good, rich history in the Old Testament, but by the time uh, Jesus was born, they were a despised class due to their transience and their work, which often rendered them ceremonially unclean. According to later sources, shepherds were considered too unreliable to even give testimony in the courts. So it's ironic that God would invite shepherds to be witnesses and give testimony to the birth of the king. Also in your bulletin on the sermon notes page at the very bottom, I added this from Kent Hughes, and I want you to look at it, and I'm going to read it because... I think it helps sum up where we're headed. Uh, Kent Hughes said that the message came to shepherds first and not to the high and mighty, 
reminds us that God comes to the needy, the poor in spirit. Shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people of that day. According to the Mishnah, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. Uh, And the only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. Well, at least you're not a leper. Wow, thanks for the encouragement. Um, And then he says this, God comes only to those who sense their need. He does not come to the self-sufficient. The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. I love uh, that King David, at least four times in the Psalms I've found, and maybe more, King David says this, for I am poor and needy. He says that again and again, and What's odd about that is that this is the king of Israel. He was not poor, and he had no need. And yet, he prayed to God and said, I'm poor and and needy. He'd been a shepherd, so he knew what that looked like. He, He knew that he was a sheep because he called the Lord his shepherd. He had this heart that recognized that it was poor and needy. So as we look at this story today, I'm going to ask, where are you needy today? Where do you feel overlooked or outcast? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe, maybe there are things going on in your marriage that make you feel needy. Or maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe it's in your parenting. Listen, parenting ain't for sissies. If you don't feel needy as a parent, keep on living, because you will one day. Parenting is hard work. Maybe it's in your singleness. Maybe you look, maybe you feel overlooked. Why, God? Where is Where's that one for me? Maybe it's at work. Been overlooked at work? Feel like an outcast at work? Maybe the work you do literally makes you feel poor? Maybe you wish you had work? And since all our students are are here, high school and college students, how about at school? You ever feel outcast or overlooked at school? Walking into a middle school or high school cafeteria is torture if you don't have friends. And then parents know what it's like to serve on some parent thing, PTA, or you know maybe the band thing. We get to experience high school all over again as we get outcast and overlooked by the parents of your friends. It just keeps repeating itself. And then, like I said, maybe, maybe at church you feel overlooked and outcast.
But if you feel your neediness, perhaps the way the shepherds did, then maybe you will respond and you and I will respond to the good news of Jesus the way they did. Charles Spurgeon said, the first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. It's not my merit, but my misery. It's not my riches, but my need. So I want to take just a few minutes to look at how they responded to the good news that night, those shepherds. And there's so much, obviously this is the most famous Christmas passage there is. Linus quoted it from memory on a stage like this. Um, and so there's no way we're going to unpack all that's in this little passage. And you're thankful for that, I'm sure. But uh, maybe we'll have many more Decembers together and we can come back to this one again. But I want to kind of look at it from the perspective of the shepherds. And I, I've noticed in these first three stories we're looking at together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, that there seems to be a little bit of a pattern in these stories. And so here's the pattern, and then we'll look at it with the shepherds. The pattern is an angel appears to unseen or unknown people. So an angel shows up to unseen or unknown people. Then fear grips those people, and the angel has to reassure them by saying, do not be afraid. That happens in all three stories. Then the angel gives that person or people a message from God. In fact, the word angel means messenger. So the angel appears, there's fear, the angel gives a message from God, and then it, it, it seems like that the Holy Spirit through Luke or Matthew is highlighting these people's faith response. How do they respond to the message? Um, Zechariah didn't believe, remember? So his response was a lack of faith. It was unbelief. Mary believed. And the shepherds, as we're going to see, believed the message. Um, so this response of faith or of trust in the message from God about Jesus through his messenger is what Luke is highlighting. And in this case, the message is first called the good news, the gospel. So, the pattern is a messenger steps into the story of real life, ordinary people, tells them not to be afraid, announces good but life-altering news to them, and then expects a response of active faith. So, let's, let's look at what happened with the shepherds. The angels, the angel, one angel shows up at first. And the glory of God shone around them. Much like that uh, glory cloud that came down when Jesus met with uh, James, Peter, and John on the mountain. The glory surrounded them. So the shepherds get caught up in the glory story. And then they were about to go witness that glory in human flesh. And then they were going to turn around and proclaim that glory story to anyone who would listen. So I just thought, you know, like them, we are glory beggars <laughs> telling other glory beggars 
where to find glory. So the angel shows up with glory. And of course, when that happens, you're sore afraid. Um, and, and the way it's said in this passage is that they were frightfully afraid. It was intense fear. Um, and the angel, again, to them, said, do not be afraid. So why is that repeated over and over again? Because I think God intends for the angel's message of good news to relieve fear. And so where did that fear and that shame of being in the presence of holiness come from? It came from Genesis 3. Remember Adam and Eve? After they sinned, God came looking for Adam said, where are you? Adam and Eve were hiding in the trees, covering themselves with leaves. And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That fear is the fear of judgment or death. And the message of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to cover us so that we no longer have to be afraid of God's judgment. We no longer have to have shame in the presence of his holiness. Uh, as 1 John said, perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with judgment. Fear of judgment and fear of death is being destroyed by the good news that God came to reconcile his people to himself so that they no longer have to hide like Adam and Eve did. So then what about the message of the angels? The angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, in other words, listen up, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Good news. He was bringing good news. It made me think that two chapters later in Luke chapter 4, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he stood and read these words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke said, after he read that, Jesus rolled up the scroll, scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God sent Jesus to preach the good news to the poor. And who were the poor who heard it first? The shepherds. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who were the ones who were captive in their outcastness and their overlookedness? They were outcasts by society. There was no place for them. Jesus came to preach liberty to them. 
So it made me think of these two things. Jesus said, he's, God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. If your heart is poor and needy, then it will be good news that Jesus has come. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's a beautiful way to describe the gospel exchange. He takes your poverty, your spiritual poverty, and gives you his richness of grace. Some scholars believe that because of how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem, that those shepherds were potentially uh, watching over and raising sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. And if that's true, we don't know, but if that's true, then the shepherds who kept watch over sacrificial lambs were told and invited to witness the birth of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, became a lamb so that our greatest poverty and our greatest need could be met. One of the hymns that we sing fairly often here, I just love and I think it kind of captures what's going on here. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. That's the picture that we read in Micah chapter 5, that the shepherd, the great shepherd, would stand for his people. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He not only has compassion, pity on you, but he has power to do something about your condition. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Your good shepherd became your lamb. Jesus also said, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. I read an article in Christianity Today this week that I thought was fascinating, and it was all about those swaddling cloths that Mary wrapped Jesus in. And I thought of it again uh, on Friday when I got to go see uh, the Acreage's new little baby girl, Andy Elizabeth, who was born Friday morning. Eight pounds, 14 ounces, 20 and a half inches. That's a big baby. Um, she's beautiful. And I got to watch her daddy lay her down on the bed and swaddle her. He wrapped her tight. She was all bound up. And I was thinking about all of the shame of being overlooked, being outcast, all of our poor neediness binds us up, wraps us up, captive, makes us captive. Captive to shame, maybe captive to the bitterness we have because we've been overlooked. 
or outcast. And so what this guy in this article did was he, he, he brought out the beauty of the gospel and he said that in the incarnation, Jesus allowed himself to be bound in human flesh. The God who made us allowed himself to be bound in human flesh. In the crucifixion, Jesus allowed himself to be bound and then nailed to a cross. Bound then with burial cloths. But in the resurrection, what does it say that they found in the empty tomb? Those cloths were neatly folded, lying there as proof that what binds you is broken because Jesus broke them. And the hope of our resurrection, the hope of our new life, the hope of all that bitterness and shame that binds us, being broken off of us, is in Christ. Jesus was bound in our sin and shame, but he broke those bonds to set our captive hearts free. That's what he came to do. So that's the message. But then what about the faith response? The shepherds responded by faith. It doesn't ever say they believed anything. It doesn't, there's no comment about that. But their actions show that they did. When the angels went away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Let us go and see. This is an act of faith. This thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us, they are responding in faith to a message they've received from God and going. And so they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They didn't question it, they just acted on it. When they said the Lord has made known to us, um, it was the angel that spoke, right? But they received that message as coming from the Lord himself. And so they received the good news. And then they gave away the good news. Not only did they believe what the Lord made known to them, it says that the shepherds then made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they not only received the good news about Jesus, they gave away the good news about Jesus. So that's the story. Angels, fear, message, faith response. And then I just jotted down some applications and implications from this story for us. Here's here's the first thought. The good news of Jesus is not for the high and mighty, but for the poor and needy. Receiving the gift of Jesus requires humility. Receiving the Savior requires admitting you're a sinner in need of saving. Uh, We've been studying James in the adult Sunday school, and James said this in chapter 4. He said, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think it was Jack Miller who used to say that grace runs downhill. So if you want grace, you've got to get low. You've got to get at the bottom. We receive the love of God in Christ when we're in the low place. 
like the shepherds. We have to go to Jesus in our poverty and receive him as the good shepherd who became the pure and spotless lamb of God and takes away our sin. And so God is inviting you this morning. He's inviting me this morning to humbly, in the low place, receive Jesus, either for the first time or again, receive Jesus as the Savior he came to be. Are we humble enough to admit that we need him? This is why our prayer of confession said this this morning, and it's in your bulletin. Father, we confess that Christ Jesus, and I would invite you, pray this prayer. Father, not right now, but Father, we confess that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and so he came to save us. So you can't enjoy his salvation unless you know you're a sinner. For we are sinners who need saving. We confess that we are the spiritually sick who need Jesus, the great physician. We are the spiritually bankrupt who need the riches of grace in Christ. We are the rebel sons and daughters who need our elder brother Jesus to reconcile us to you. We are the lost sheep who need the good shepherd to lead our wayward hearts home. And then I quoted from Psalm 70, verse 5, We are poor and needy. Come quickly to us, O God. You are our help and our deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So we, we need to receive the good news in the low place. And you, think, you may think, well, look, if angels showed up and told me the, these things, I'd believe them, no problem. But angels don't come and speak to us anymore, Jimmy. If they do speak to you, I'd like to hear about that. Thank you. Um, I'll buy you lunch and you can tell me about it. But that's not typically what happens anymore. But remember, angel means messenger. And the apostles wrote down the message for us in this book. So better than angels, we've got their full testimony and their unpacking, their explanation of all that it means. What has challenged me with these stories this year is this is the message of who Jesus is, why he came for you. Do you believe it, Jimmy? Do you believe this? Because my biggest problem is my unbelief. As Martin Luther said, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. We don't tell you to read your Bible and trust your Bible just so that your head gets full. We want your heart to be full and convinced of the love God has for you. That's why. So we receive God's good news in the low place, but then... We give away the love of God from a low place. Um, Sinclair Ferguson said this, this one little sentence, love came down at Christmas. And you think, well, that's true. Jesus came down at Christmas. But by saying that, he also is defining the New Testament uh, 
giving the New Testament definition of love, and that is that love comes down. Love takes the low place. Love takes the low place for the sake of the poor and the needy among us. We give away the love of God in Christ from the low place. That's what Paul said in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Husbands, wives, friends, siblings, co-workers. Count others, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Love came down. Love took the low place. And in order for us to love like Christ loves, we're going to have to take the low place with the overlooked and the outcast and the poor and the needy among us. And it's going to feel like death. So we receive the love of God in Christ in the low place. We give away the love of God in Christ from the low place. We love because he first loved us. So so let me say this in closing. Let's keep praying that we would continue to be a church where the overlooked and the outcast and the poor and needy are welcome because Jesus welcomed us. To the church in Corinth, which had begun to think too highly of themselves, Paul said this, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even, the thing, even things that are not, the nothings, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let this congregation, God, not be a place where someone feels overlooked or like they're an outcast. If we are going to receive the love of Christ in the low place and give it to one another in the low place, we're going to have to have our eyes open for those who are typically unseen. That includes me. I, as the pastor, need to try to look for those who are unseen. And if you're in this congregation and you feel like you've been overlooked or outcast, forgive us. Forgive us and be patient with us. And if you have the courage, come and tell us. You can come tell me. You can come and look me in the face and say, look, I've been overlooked and outcast in this congregation, and it hurts. 
and I'll listen. And then pray. Pray that God would help us as individuals, as families, as small groups, as a congregation to find ways to wrap the love of Christ in our flesh and blood and to serve the physically poor and needy on this mountain. Some of you are doing that already in many ways. But to serve the physically poor and needy, the physically overlooked, the physically outcast with our works and our words so that we would be a church full of needy people who go and tell other needy people where we've had our deepest needs met. I remind us, if you'll look on the front of the bulletin, I'm going to close by reading this. This is on here every week. And I pray that because God has come to us, the poor and needy, that this message in the box on the front of our bulletin would not only just be words we put on a page, but would continue to be. I'm not saying it's not, but that it would continue to be. And even more richly become the welcome we give out of the way we live. So would you read this out loud with me, this welcome? Because this is what we want to be because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's read it. To all who are weak in body or spirit and seek strength, to all who are weary and desire rest, to all who struggle and seek victory, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who are strangers and seek love and fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst, to all who come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, would you, would you continue to make us that kind of church, not out of our own self-effort, not out of pride of, look how great we are, why isn't XYZ church down the road as loving as we are? But out of our own poverty and need, Father, out of our own desperate need for the grace of Jesus that has been given to us, out of our receiving it in the low place, would we then turn around and give it away from the low place in humility serving one another in our work, in our words. And not just our neighbors on this mountain, but I, I thank God about how the shepherds, they just went back. They just went back home and they went back to their regular job. And you call us to do the same. To go and give away the good news in the way we live and with the words we speak um, in the places where we work, live, and play. Would you, would you make us that kind of people? We are poor and needy, and we need you. So we ask that you would take this bread and this cup now, set it aside from its normal everyday use, and let it be for us um, the food that feeds us, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. Let it feed us so that we have strength to live 
the way you're calling us to live in the world. I'm so thankful that over and over again, you said that Jesus was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. I'm so thankful that you told us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Because this table is where we come to feed on Jesus, the bread of life. And so would you come, Lord Jesus, as you promised, and meet with us, fill us up with your love as we feed on you by faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.